0: I am not going to uh, summarize the weeks that TL is going to do that because the message that was laid on my heart is something that's not necessarily in the reading for this week. But it's been on my heart to explore the truth that God uses all people, all people for his purposes. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. And so as a teacher, I have an into and I have a through and I have a beyond. So we're gonna do into. So I have to ask you, I want you to think, have you have you ever been told that you can't do something, that you're not capable? Have you been told that you're not savvy enough or you're not smart enough or you don't have the credentials, that you're not pretty enough, whatever it is. And I have an example of that. When I was uh, working back in my last life, back in 1991, I was one of first of two people who were the first distinguished teachers in residence at Cal State San Marcos. And at that time, we were sitting in what we called the Jerome's Campus. It was the shopping center for those of you who, who know San Marcos and Carlsbad. It was the shopping center where the Jerome's furniture store was. And we were renting all those office spaces and those were the, the classrooms and such. Oh my gosh, the other gal from, San, uh, from Ramona. Anyhow, so we realized we get to teach on special assignment for two years in the College of Education. We get to, to share our expertise And we get to teach student teachers about what it's really like in the classroom. And we get to work along people who have been published and and know all this stuff. But there were were only 12 of us at this time in the entire school of education, counting the, the dean and the associate dean. Well, lo and behold, Karen and I found out that some people looked at us as just classroom teachers. That's all we were. We were interlopers and we didn't belong there. And that really rocked our worlds because we'd been in the classroom for 20 years, had worked hard to get where we were. But for some reason, we were just classroom teachers. And I will say that 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 experience, though, reminded me that God put me in a place to use my gifts and talents. And it's my job to do whatever he wants me to do, whenever he wants me to do, wherever he puts me, whenever. Whenever he puts me. And I reckon that I'll go out on a limb here, but I reckon that we all have had some sort of situation where we've asked ourselves, why am I doing this that people think I'm not capable? anybody want to share?
1: chickens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, well, yeah, I'll, I'll share. share. Yeah. Dio wants to share. I'll share. Um, well, just being a woman in a really fundamentally conservative church, I mean, not only would I deal with my own torment of why am I doing this, but I had many people say that to me, like, why why are you doing this? And I'd say, well, aren't we supposed to bring people to Jesus? Like, aren't you supposed to be doing this too? And it was so hard because basically it was, I had fruit as a teenager, even in college and on and on, and uh, people didn't like it. Parents didn't like it, teachers didn't like it, the principal didn't like it. And uh, I was asked all the time, why am I doing this? And then I would go home and just cry over it. I would, I'd cry. But the the fruit was so great that I'd go back and do it again. I mean, you know, just keep getting beat up. But it's true. At, At some point, you have to get over that. You're right. It's good, Linda. Good point. Yeah, we used to say we still have the scars on our back. But
0: we overlived it. And as a result, I went back and worked at that school for 10 years as adjunct professor. So I mean, not a professor. I didn't have a PhD. I only had an M.A. But anyway. Okay, now I want to flip it around. Think about this. Have you ever felt you weren't capable of something that you were supposed to do? For the same reasons. I don't have the skills. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not savvy enough, etc. And I made a mistake. I read Bobby's email. She she and I had chatted. She said, oh, you know, you should, what would you like to do? Would you like to teach? I said, well, I can teach thinking that was three weeks ago. Like, yeah, right. Later in another life, maybe. But um, no, I read her email and I, oh my gosh, can I really do this? And this is scary. I mean, you're not scary. It's I used to say it's easier for me to teach to a bunch of strangers because I used to do a lot of consulting. But when I'm in a room with in a room with people that I have worked with now for over a year and know it's scary. Mm -hmm. And um, I can write lesson plans for a week in all subject areas for a group of 32 kids. I can do it in less time than it took me to do this 30 minute presentation. And that's, that's what it is, but I knew I had to go for it. I had to run the risk. I had to do it. I had to trust you. I had to trust God and I had to step out of the boat. <laughs> and again, I'll go out on a limb, but I imagine that um, all of us have been here in some way, shape or form. I see some, some nods and uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been drummed into us. Will you not agree that God has a purpose for us all? We're always told that God has a purpose. He ha- we have a calling. We have a job to do. We have a mission. And he's working all things together for good. He knows the plans. And we know that God has us. But sometimes, sometimes we question those plans. They don't make sense to us. And we aren't capable again. We're not smart enough. We're not steeped in the word. We're just ordinary people. Or, and I'll challenge you a little bit, not necessarily any of us, maybe we've done some not so nice things in our lives. Maybe some bad choices, maybe some bad decisions. And why in the world would God use us who's made those bad decisions or made those poor choices? And so we get stuck and I think we lose sight of who we are. And I have to tell you, as Bobby was saying, I have been attacked ever since I told Bobby two weeks ago that I would do this, majorly attacked. And so this evening, I want to explore that truth, like I said, that God uses all people for his purpose, even though we are sinners all the rascal made me say that the rascal is not on the computer um it says he is mark stone uh but in the middle of my alpha group last week my computer crashed yeah and it kept crashing and anyway i call i finally sucked it up and called apple care today and um that's why i have his computer on just in case we crash (laughs) but so Anyway. <laughs> I don't know if that wasn't spiritual warfare, I don't know what is. In the middle of alpha, really? Okay, moving on. Let's talk about, now I'm doing my through part, my teacher's through part. I wanna talk about the unlikely people that God has used in extraordinary ways. And my first guy is Abraham. We've been talking about him. Well, Abraham had to go to Egypt. If you will recall, there was a famine in Genesis 12, 10 through 20. And I'm not going to say days or anything because it doesn't matter. Um, It's just using for illustrations. I don't want you need to thumb through your Bibles unless you want to. Um, Remember Abram and Sarah, but I'll just call him Abraham and Sarah. He was told to go to Egypt because of the famine. So what does he tell Sarah? He tells Sarah, you are so beautiful. If Pharaoh knows that you're my wife, he might kill me. So you tell him you're my sister. Oops. Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife. Right. Bad things started happening to Pharaoh. So what did Pharaoh say in verse 18 and 19? He said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Now go take her and go. We're done. And then Sarah, remember God promised their child in their very old age, but Sarah got a little impatient because she was in her seventies or so and hadn't had her baby yet. So what does she do? She decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands and has Abraham sleep with Hagar and they conceived a child named Ishmael. And we know how that went for everybody. Disconnectedness, jealousy, heartbreak—that's in Genesis sixteen. And then Isaac pulled the same shenanigans as his father did. Right. I looked up the pronunciation of the king, and I forgot it already. Abba, Abba, Abil- Abil- like. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the king of the Philistines—I actually looked it up, and I totally forgot it. Anyway, they had to go because of a famine. And Rebecca was so beautiful, Isaac was afraid that the men who lived in this place would say she was his wife and they would kill him. So what did he do? He, he tells him that that's his sister. Sounds familiar, right? Well, the king discovers the truth, is outraged, and eventually tells Isaac to move away. You have become too powerful for us. Actually, I think it was God who became too powerful for him, but it came out the same. But ladies, we know how it all turned out. God fulfilled his promise. In Genesis 15, 5, he takes Abraham outside and says, God took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. God gave Abraham and Sarah, that son, Isaac, in their old age, 99 and 89, respectively. Isaac, father of Jacob and Esau. And as promised, Abraham's offspring would spread throughout the earth. And and God said, in you, Jacob, and your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And that's Genesis 28, 14. Okay, things are going fine, right? Wrong. (laughs) Amanda's laughing at me. And then Esau. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob, and Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Esau's out hunting wild game for his father so he can make him his favorite dish, so he can serve him, and Jacob will, pardon me, will then give him his blessing as a firstborn. Oh, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Rebecca hears all this. So he, she sets Jacob up to pretend he's Esau, disguise himself, and take the blessing for himself. It worked, did it not? But Jacob ends up fleeing from Esau, and the story goes on. Okay, let's move forward a little bit. Saul, as in the king. Okay, Saul, handsome. Cute little kid or young man. And we find him running around looking for his family's donkeys. And they can't find him. And they end up going to Samuel the prophet for help. And that's when Samuel tells them he's going to be king of Israel. It's a strange, strange way of anointing. And then we have King David a man after God's own heart, who also was an adulterer and a murderer, oops. Remember Bathsheba bathing on the roof, his buddy pals wife, they got together, oops. So he brought his friend home from the front, but his friend was so honorable, he wouldn't have relations with his wife because his buddies were out fighting the battles. So what did David do? He sent him out to the front lines where he would be killed. And he was killed. Mm -hmm. But David repented and begged the Lord's forgiveness. And he paid a dear, dear price for what he did. And he also became the greatest king of Israel ever in the line of Jesus. And then moving into the the second testament, as my Jewish believing husband would call it, the rest of the book, the disciples, an ordinary group of ragtag fishermen with the tax collector thrown in for good measure, and upon one of them, Peter, who denied Christ three times on the night of his crucifixion. Jesus built his church. And don't forget one more, Paul. The greatest Pharisee around who went by the name of Saul and his greatest pleasure was persecuting and killing Christians who believed in this guy who supposedly was resurrected. And he was present at and approved of the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. They laid his coats in front of him. And then what happened? He took a a walk on the road to Damascus and met his Lord, Jesus, and he became, the the fanatic becomes the greatest apostle, Paul. So those are all guys, right? You wanna hear about some girls? I'm moving on. I'm moving on to Matthew one and the genealogy of Jesus the first 14 generations. In Matthew 1, <clears throat> there are only three women besides Mary, the mother of, jo- uh, mother of Joseph, the mother of Jesus, named in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. We have Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah, mother of Perez, and I counted it. And I hope I counted it right. I counted it about ten times yesterday, but my f- brain fog set in. Great, 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 great grandfather of King David. I think there's eight. Then mm-hmm. we have m- one of my favorites is Rahab, but we haven't met her yet, so I'm not going to talk about her too much. But I really like her. Mm-hmm. And um, the Jericho harlot who hid Joshua's spies. The night before the Battle of Jericho. And she's the great-great-grandmother of King David. Mm-hmm. If I counted that right, I have to go back and look. And then we have Ruth, the Moabite widow, who followed her mother-in-law Naomi back to her people. My God will be your God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Naomi's people were the Israelites. And they she was the great-grandmother of King David. Mm-hmm all ancestresses of the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And not one of those three was an Israelite. I think that's really cool. Wow. So I decided I want to look at Tamar. Because it's just kind of passed over that whole story. This is Genesis 28. And you don't. We don't study her as much. And I was looking at, in my research, it was, there's a lot of controversy as there should be. But let's look at Joseph first. We've got to go back to Joseph to understand how Tamar fits into this. You know, Joseph, when he was, he was um, the um, sold, mm-hmm. I, my notes have changed since I, I retyped typed him. Um, go back to Joseph and, and of the brothers, Judah was the brother who suggested to the other brothers. No, we shouldn't kill him. He is our blood and our flesh. Let's sell him. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites who then sold them to the Egyptians.
1: Right.
0: Okay. So there's Judah after the sales completed. They go home and Jacob is, you know, moaning and groaning and and grieving for the son who died. And Judah separates himself from the family. And he goes off and he marries a Canaanite woman. And keep in mind that God forbade the Israelites to marry Canaanites or any others that were not of the line that we're not Israelites. And if you look back, Abraham told his most trusted servant, if you recall, not to allow Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman before he died. So anyway, off he goes and he marries a Canaanite woman and he has three sons. And he needs to get a son for his birth firstborn, Er, E-R, I guess that's how you say it, Er. So he found a, a Canaanite woman for him, and her name was Tamar. Okay, everything's going fine, except that God found that Er was wicked and evil, and so he took his life. Now here's where it gets interesting. Tamar, according to tradition, Judah was to allow send Tamar to his second son so that they could marry and he could conceive an heir for his dead brother Mm -hmm. and Tamar would raise the son as if it were her her deceased husband's child Mm -hmm. well the second son Onan didn't want to do that I mean he didn't mind sleeping with Tamar but he didn't want to conceive a son So he let his seed be spilled into the dust. And God did not like that. He took his life. Well, by this time, Judah is like so done with giving Tamar off to his children. He's only got one left. He knows he's not gonna do it. So he tells Tamar, you go home and live with your father as a widow in your father's house. Shelah, the youngest son is not old enough. And when he grows up and he's old enough to marry, I will give him to you, or I will give you to him. Okay. Except Judah didn't follow through. Sheila grows up, Tamar is waiting, and nothing happens. So, what is a girl to do to protect herself? Well, yeah. Tamar learns that Judah is coming to her neck of the woods to check on sheep or something. And so she decides to take things into her own hands. She's going to make this happen. And so she disguises herself as a prostitute and manipulates Judah to sleep with her. He says that he will pay her with a goat, but he doesn't have one with him. And she knows better than to trust him because he's done so well. So she says, give me your seal, your cord, and your staff. These three things were a sign of the man's identity, a sign of the man's authority, and a sign of his power, respectively. Wow. And that she would hold those three important things that belonged to him. She would hold those until he returned with the goat. And then she would give them back. Well, Judah tried to give the prostitute a goat, but no one could find the prostitute. So he decided, well, I'm not gonna be shamed. So I'm just gonna let this go. Whoever that was, they can keep those three things. I I don't wanna be embarrassed. Well, three months pass, and you know what happens. Suddenly, Judah is told that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant through prostitution. Oops. Well, Judah is infuriated, and he says, bring her out. We're going to burn her to death. We're going to kill her. This is terrible. But you know what she has in her possession. And so she reminds him, she says, asks him if he recognizes his seal, his court and his staff, and says that she is pregnant by the man who owns these. And then he knows, he knows what happened. And he realizes that he should have kept his promise and he should have allowed her to marry Shayla, And he even said, she is more righteous than I once I wouldn't give her to my son, Shayla. Now, does it mean that they were pure and without sin? But she was trying to protect herself, even though it was a strange way of doing it. Well, Tamara gave birth to twins, Perez and Zara. is I'm saying that right? Yeah. And Perez was the great, 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 great grandfather of... king david in the lineage of jesus and Shar, you made me think about the twins when you said you didn't want to be the firstborn or was it second i can't remember what you said what you learned a couple weeks ago about yeah being the second
1: you didn't want to be the
0: firstborn yeah yeah about the twins and I found it interesting, this is just an aside, that as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew his hand back, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was named Zara. kind of what's first is last and what's last is first
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> all right the importance here we know besides the fact that Tamar was an ancestress of our savior is that God uses the most broken the most unlikely people to fulfill his purpose and that's what it's all about he used Tamar a Canaanite woman not one of God's chosen people But he chose her to fulfill his perfect plan. And I don't know if it's because God has to make course corrections. He sure had to make a lot in my life to get me where I am. Or if this was what he saw. I mean, I don't know because we all have free choice. And I just wonder how that kind of makes the water murky. But at any rate, she had to take matters into her own hands and she committed a grave sin through deceit with another sinner who wouldn't keep his word. Jesus's family tree is truly a sight to behold. Lucato calls it the Tilted Halo Society in his new Bible called uh, the Encouraging Word Bible. I got the ESV version.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and But you know, it has to be ladies because Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And as such, and I quote from Hebrews too, Seventeen, eighteen. Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way he could be their merciful so that in every way he could be their merciful, faithful high priest in service of God. Then Jesus could die in their place to take away their sins, and now he can help those who were tempted because he himself suffered and was tempted. Mm-hmm. So he gets it. He's been there. He's done it without sin, but he's seen it. He's felt it. And all of these people with all of their foibles were extraordinary people trying to make it in a chaotic world. And isn't that what we're doing right now? And this is, we're living in chaos, pure and simple. I have no other word for it. Just trying to keep our corners somewhat Mm -hmm. even. Some lied, some cheated, they pilfered, they looted, they murdered, while others tried to take the high road and often at great risk. But God used them all for his good and faithful service. Now, I am going to go to a reading from this last week that we read, because one of the principles is that we don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. I mean, I know we have God, but I mean, we can't do it without that community. So if you will recall in Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law comes to visit him and brings his wife and the the two sons. And his father-in-law is a priest of Midian. It's all good, good relationship. And they do a sacrifice together. And then the next day, and I'm over on... If you're with me, you don't have to look it up, but I'm over in the last uh, from 13 on. I'm not going to read it all. But he saw Moses coming to serve as a judge for the people the next day, and they stood around from morning till evening. And his father-in-law said, Moses, what are you doing with all these people? What are you doing? And he says, well, all these people are standing around. Why do you do it alone and sit as a judge? And Moses answered, because they come to me, they have disputes, I have to teach them, I have to help them, we have to settle these problems. And Jethro replies, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Mm -hmm. And he gives them some good advice, some good counsel. He says, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are behave, to behave, but select capable men, good people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That will, And then have them serve as judges for the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. And that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And isn't that what we're called to do? We all have different talents. We have different gifts. We have different strengths, weaknesses, but we work together as the body of Christ in community. I can't do this alone. I couldn't, I, I, I talked to Bobby several times this week and, and had I needed prayer. I needed encouragement so that I could do what I knew I wanted to do, and I was called to do, and I couldn't do it. I, Daniel, also known as Jamie, I called them last week. They prayed over me. I had to do that, Sherry, people that I see or talk to regularly. Bottom line, God uses the ordinary in extraordinary ways. And when we think that we're marking time and we're stuck, he's going to lead us to the divine appointments where we can see what we are and what he being called to do. He intercepts our plan. I am God, I'm in charge. And he makes his way known to us how, as we pray, as we read and meditate on the word, as we listen to what he through the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. puts on our hearts and as we seek out wise counsel. I love that we are valued regardless of our blemishes. I've got a ton of them, shortcomings, our worries. We're not an accident. We're not an afterthought. And that gives me great comfort. God chose me. He chose you. He chose us. He chose us all to be together tonight for whatever reason. It's all personal. And as I was talking about Cal State St. Marcus, I actually became stronger because, as I said, God reminded me that he put me there for a purpose. And, to, and before I retired in 2008, I taught next to some of those students that I taught at Cal State San Marcos. I also taught next to some students I taught in sixth grade. That's how old I am, <laughs> but that's another story. So I just want a reminder, the purpose of this, each of us is God's masterpiece. We are uniquely priceless created for a purpose. We all have great value and we are made worthy through Jesus Christ and God's mercy, grace, and love. He's not going to let us down. He's going to equip us to do his work, live his purpose, which he has prepared for each one of us. And we have a job to do. And that job is to show up, be faithful, and follow his lead. So I have to do a beyond because I've done the into and through. I want to challenge you on your calling, each one of you your purpose, and like Bobby was saying, make notes as you read the word, as you read your devotions, whatever you do as you pray with each other, as you talk to each other, what do you hear him telling you? And I know a lot of you and we feel secure in what we're supposed to do and where we are, but then I challenge you to noodle even more and see how you're growing and see how that call is changing. It's not stagnant, it's dynamic. Situations change and we change. Boy, have I changed this year! And God is always working behind the scenes. I'm going to ask you to remember and personalize two scriptures before you, I stop. Ephesians 2:10. I'm going to personalize it. For I, Linda, am God's masterpiece. He has created me anew in Christ Jesus, so that I, Linda. To do the things he planned for me long ago. And Jeremiah 1.5, and I know you could all say it with me. I chose you, Linda, before I formed you in the womb. Mm-hmm. And I set you apart before you were born. Mm-hmm. So, amen? Amen. 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 Anybody want to share anything on that? Yeah, All right. yeah. I think that was great um, Praise um, the Lord. Yeah. that's awesome, Linda. Thank you. It's God.